0: Anthony's going to come and read God's word for us from uh, John 11:1 to 26. So the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 to 26. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this?
1: Thanks for that. And uh, keep that passage open, uh, John chapter 11. I'm actually going to go a little further than that, but I wanted to stop there with that question, which is a great question. Do you... Believe this. Um, thanks again for, for having me, or, although you didn't have much of a choice. Uh, thanks for being sick so that I could be here. Um, and, uh, well, not you, but the whole family. Um, so I got to be parachuted in. <laughs> I'm just digging a bigger hole for myself, aren't I? So we can sort this out later. We can take this outside. So. Uh, it's great to be able to join with you today, and, uh, and I should say, this is the sermon I'm going to be preaching this evening, so if you're thinking, oh, it'd be great to visit Maderville in the evening, you're going to get a bit of deja vu, because I'll be preaching this this evening at, at our church, uh, but don't let that stop you from coming, uh, at least you know what to expect, so let me pray, and then we'll look at this passage in John 11. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a great and glorious God who gives us hope in a hopeless world. Please uh, speak to us today by your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's no exaggeration to say that the world we're living in is a world of fear and insecurity. As one young adult wrote uh, in an essay this week for the Gospel Coalition, she said that the message given to her generation Is gray and bleak. Her lecturers are saying that despite the promise of a better world by environmentalists, if we all do our part, the world is in fact ending in the next 50 years. Even with modern medicine, we've entered the age of the pandemic, of deadly pandemics. Despite our best efforts, political tensions are higher than ever. So where's all the hope in this? Well, she says, her professors have found the solution. Yes, the world is falling apart, but you, the next generation, are going to fix it. To which she says in this essay, uh, well, I fail to see the hope in this. I suspect my classmates feel the same. Most sit there as if we've just received a death sentence. We're given an impossible burden that we know we can never resolve. And so arrives the disillusionment of a hopeless generation. Now, fortunately, that's not where the essay ends. You'll have to go search it and see uh, the, the hope that she has in Christ. But it does raise a really important question, and that is, where is our hope to be found in a world full of disillusionment? Uh, a world that is hopeless at the moment, where is our hope to be found? And in John chapter 11, we're given a remarkable answer, an incredible answer. Our our hope is not found in ourselves, not found in our education, not found in the government uh, or anything else or anyone else in this world. Our hope is found in Jesus. Jesus, who alone can shatter not only our fear of death, but also our fear of living. So let's take a closer look at this chapter that really unpacks that for us. And it begins with a hope delayed. The first 16 verses, really, are about a hope delayed. So the story kicks off, verse one, uh, and we discover that a close friend of Jesus, a man named Lazarus, had fallen ill. His sisters, uh, Martha and Mary, they were so concerned that they sent for Jesus. In verse 3, they say, he whom you love is ill. And so we skip to verse 5, and it tells us that Jesus, because Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, uh, and Lazarus, get that right, um, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he immediately packed his bags, grabbed the fastest donkey he could find, traveled the 110-mile journey from Galilee all the way down to Bethany, which is a little town just outside Jerusalem. Actually, he didn't do that. When you read it, verse 6 tells us he stayed two days longer in that place where he was, which seems crazy. Why, Why would Jesus do this? Well, one possibility is that it was just too dangerous for Jesus to go. That's what the disciples think when, in verse 8, uh, they tell Jesus that, just in case he forgot, that Jerusalem was radioactive to them. The end of chapter 10, if you've been following the story of John, uh, at the very end of chapter 10, when Jesus was there in Jerusalem last, the Jewish leaders wanted to stone him to death, and not just once, but three times. And so, if word gets out that Jesus is just outside Jerusalem, uh, at, a, at a pretty prominent funeral of someone well known to people if word got out well the disciples can join the dots but after two days jesus tells his disciples it's time to go back to judea and when the disciples question the wisdom of that jesus says to them this is the will of god that's what he means by when he he talks about walking in the day Um, in in verse 9 that those who walk in the light of God's word will not stumble Uh, Jesus is doing the will of God and as it is verse 11 Jesus tells him Lazarus has fallen asleep and Jesus says I'm going there to wake him up which point they say to them to Jesus well if he's sleeping that sounds like he's getting better uh, so, so, do we really need to go? You know, maybe it's just better we stay. Which Jesus has to spell out to them in verse 14. As he says to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then he says these, these startling words straight after that. He, he tells us why he delayed. He says in verse 15, for your sake i am glad that i was not there so that you may believe those are quite striking words he has the whole point of jesus delay Uh, not because he had more important things to do or, or because he was afraid of what might happen if he went but because if he had gone earlier he would have healed lazarus and the resurrection story that happens would never have happened What's the first thing that that both Mary and Martha say to Jesus when they see him? Verse 15, sorry, verse 21 and verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, they're not saying that in an accusatory way, like, where were you? But they're saying it as as a matter of fact. Lord, we know that if you had been here, you would have healed Lazarus. You loved Lazarus. And, and, and if Jesus had healed Lazarus, well, then the miracle that, that happened next would never have happened. Jesus' glory would not have been revealed. And the faith of his disciples and the faith of Mary and Martha and the crowd that were gathered there by the tomb and the faith of every Christian, including you and me, would have been poorer for it. I was not there, said Jesus, so that you may believe. Sometimes we cry out to God, cry out to him to to heal our our sick relative or our spouse or, or to save us from a hard situation. And sometimes it seems like he's not listening. Sometimes nothing seems to happen. Sometimes things just seem to get worse. And the temptation is for us to think, well, Jesus doesn't care. He's left us He's left me to my worst nightmare, and he's up there in heaven, I'm down here in the muck, and and I'm full of disappointment. Where was Jesus then? Sometimes what we can miss is that Jesus may be delaying because he knows what we need most of all is to trust him. Even when it looks like all hope is lost, we need to put our hope in him. And he knows that that will grow our faith. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope, he says, does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. As uh, theologian Don Carson says of these verses, he says, this is not something we in the West know a lot about. We expect God to simply release us immediately, if not sooner, or jolly well give us an explanation for why we're suffering the way we are. But God, he says, may be less interested in giving us explanations than in building our character as Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, we eagerly awaiting the redemption of our bodies. For this, in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, that's not always going to make the struggles we, we go through, the, the suffering, the difficulties, any easier to go through. But it does Help us to know that the God that we're praying to, that the Lord we're crying out to, to to help us in our situation, is there with us in our situation. That He is sovereign and that He is in control. That He is good and that He is generous. That He knows what we need is sometimes not always what we want. And He will strengthen our faith. He will build our hope even through these difficult dark situations the disciples though don't get it yet once once they they know that jesus made up his mind to go back into the danger zone thomas says really what they're all thinking in verse 16 he says to his fellow disciples let us go also then that we may die with him Uh, very (laughs) encouraging words (laughs) Uh, this kind of guy you you want on your team um but uh, but thomas is a realist he 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 sees what's going to happen Here is a hope delayed but it moves on to a hope declared in, in from verse 17 to 27 so verse 17 we pick up the story again jesus has now made the trip uh he's just outside bethany lazarus has been dead for four days we are told when you make the calculations it's interesting it was a four-day journey from Galilee, where Jesus was, to Bethany, which means that the moment Jesus decided it was time to leave, to go to Bethany, was the moment that Lazarus died. And so he arrives, always uh, is around the corner, and uh, Martha hears that, and uh, so she slips out of the house to talk to him privately. And verse 23, Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. But like everyone else in the story, she misses what Jesus means. She she thinks Jesus is just kind of encouraging her with with something that may happen in the future. She says, yes, yes, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection uh, on the last day. And that's true, tick. But um, at this point, Jesus says something more to her. Something that he would never have said to her if Lazarus hadn't died. He said these words in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life here is hope declared but what does jesus mean when he says i am the resurrection and the life well well he goes on to explain fortunately he says whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live in other words whoever trusts in jesus in this life even though they will go into the grave they will die They will come to life on the other side of the grave. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection. She believes that there is a resurrection to come on the last day, but it's all in Jesus. Those who live on that last day, who are raised on that last day, are those who trust in Jesus. That's what she's saying. But he's also saying something more than that. Uh, He's saying, not that I know the way to the resurrection, or I can teach you About the resurrection uh, or that I know of someone else who will show you where to find it. No, Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection. There is no resurrection outside of me. No one else can give you this because it is all of me. And because he is the resurrection, he is also the life. As he goes on to explain in verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In other words, life doesn't begin after we die. The resurrection doesn't begin after we've gone into the grave. No, it begins right now. From the moment that you believe in Jesus right now, you receive life, what John calls eternal life or life to the full, real life a life that never dies. And so, yes, our bodies will go into the grave, but we will live. We will be at home with the Lord until the day he raises our bodies at the resurrection as new bodies that will never, ever die again. That's what it means to to know Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, the one who not only will raise us in the last day, but the one who gives us life right now, That we will live even beyond the grave. All of that hope is bundled up in Jesus who says, I am the resurrection of the life. And because he is the resurrection of the life, as I said before, you're not going to find that anywhere else. Not in Muhammad, not in Buddha, not in Richard Dawkins or Mother Mary or Pope Francis or Donald Trump or Mark McGowan or anyone else that you can think of. They are not the resurrection and the life. They cannot give you the resurrection and the life. Only Jesus can. Which is why what Jesus goes on to say next is so important. Have a look at the end of verse 26. Jesus says, Do you believe this? How are you going to get this resurrection and the life? You need to believe in jesus trust in him believe that he really is the resurrection of life that he is the only one who can give you the resurrection of the life and uh, and mary uh, martha responds well one of the best responses actually in john's gospel in fact the only one who really responds uh, as well as this she says yes lord i believe that you are the christ the son of god who is coming into the world And yet even with that great response, that true response, she still hasn't fully understood what Jesus is about to do. She hasn't understood uh, what Jesus can do. Because this hope declared needs to become a hope demonstrated. And that's our final point. A hope demonstrated from verse 28 to 44. So verse 28, Martha uh, runs off and tells Mary that Jesus is asking for her which gives you an idea that there was more to this conversation than what what uh, John recorded uh, but in her eagerness to see him Mary at, uh, attracts the attention of the crowd who who thinks she's going to be going to the tomb and they want to support her and so they follow her and then they meet up with Jesus where Mary is and while the conversation starts the same way as Martha's It takes a different turn in verse 33 uh, because it tells us that when Jesus saw her and those with her weeping with grief, we are told that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In fact, a better translation of that word deeply moved is, is indignant or outraged. It's, uh, it's a translation that, that the English translations don't really like to go to, but according to some uh, commentators I read, the, the Germans get it right. So if you read any German translation of, of this section, they use that, that idea of the word of indignance or, or outrage. And then in verse 35, we're told that Jesus wept, which is not only the, the best memory verse in the Bible... It's also one of the most profound statements about Jesus' humanity. So what's going on here? Why, why was Jesus outraged? Why did he weep? Well, what we often think is, well, he must be sad because he loved Lazarus, and, and now Lazarus is dead, and everyone's in tears. And, and I don't know about you, but when everyone's in tears around you, it's really hard to not get that feeling that someone's chopping onions somewhere nearby. And, <laughs> And at least that's what the crowd thinks. They they're saying, they say the, in, uh, where is it, um, in verse 36, see how he loved him. But while there may be some truth to that, uh, and it's a great comfort to know that our Savior knows our sorrows and has felt our pain, at the same time, the, the crowd get it totally wrong. They go on to say in verse 37, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You see, in other words, they think Jesus is weeping because he's like everyone else. He's like us when when death comes along. We feel powerless and frustrated and overwhelmed. But we know that that can't be right about Jesus because Not only we know that Jesus is God, and therefore he's sovereignly in control, but all through the story, Jesus has been telling the disciples that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, even though they don't believe it. So why is Jesus then indignant? Why is he deeply moved? It could be because he's lost a close friend. But the fact is that same word comes up again in verse 38, when Jesus comes to the tomb. And what that tells us is that the reason why Jesus feels this agitation, the real source of it, is not the people around him, but the tomb, death itself. The old reformer John Calvin, he put it like this, he said, Jesus contemplates the general misery of the whole human race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. He advances to the tomb as a champion who prepares for conflict. And so here we see the heart of Jesus uncovered to us, as B.B. Warfield puts it. Not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe. That's where Jesus' outrage is directed. At this great enemy, death, that has come into our world because of our sin. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. The payment we get for rebelling against God, for trying to find life somewhere else apart from the life-giving God, is death. It's the judgment we deserve. And it's ugly and it's horrific. And Jesus is outraged by it. It's repulsive. It's stench. uh, Turns our stomach. And it's even what Martha says when Jesus says, pull the stone away. She says, there's going to be a stench. And if if you've ever had to pick a rat out of your ceiling, you know the stench. Uh, I had to do that once. um, Where, uh, well, we'd heard the scurrying around in our roof. And then we thought, okay, it's going to be a little tricky to get rid of this rat uh, unless I start uh, putting down something that will get rid of it permanently. And so I went up into the roof and put a few little traps down. And then the scurrying stopped. And then we thought well maybe it ran away but then the smell began and then i thought no it hasn't run away and and i had to climb up into this roof and and well if your roof is anything like our roof uh, it's got all this um all this insulation and so the rat wasn't just lying very you know uh peacefully on top of the insulation it had to have dug itself underneath the insulation and i had to just use my nose to find where the smell was worst uh, until I finally did discover it after digging up all these things. The, the point is, the stench of death is a, is a smell that, that is unmistakable, and it's horrible. We want to get rid of it. You can't, we couldn't just leave the rat in the ceiling and say, oh, let's we'll get used to the smell. It, it is a horrible, gut-wrenching smell because that's what death is. It's ugly. It's horrific. And the stench turns our stomach. And, and Jesus says, roll the stone away from the tomb. And he advances to the tomb. And as he does so, he advances on his own tomb. Because he knows that by raising Lazarus, he will need to die himself. As he bears our sin in his body, on the tree. As he dies in our place as we're going to remember a moment's time as we share the Lord's Supper, and there in his power as he crushes death to death. Here stands the conquering king who descends into the darkest depths of the grave, dealing death itself a killing blow. He punches a hole through death to resurrection and life on the other side. And for all who trust in him, all who believe in him, all who follow Jesus will walk the path that he has set through the grave and to eternal life on the other side. And isn't it amazing how Jesus deals with death here? Simple prayer in verse 41, not for his own sake, but so that everyone else can hear that this is God's will. And a simple word of command. Lazarus, come out. And here is the one who is the resurrection and the life, demonstrating he has the power to give life. And out comes Lazarus, uh, all still bound up in his grave clothes, uh, needing to be freed. The, 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 the bits of death still clinging to him. And yet we know Lazarus is only raised in a mortal body into this body this this pre-resurrection body that dies again whereas Jesus resurrection is superior on every count when Jesus came out of the tomb the stone was rolled away not so that Jesus could get out it was so that we could get in and see that death had been defeated the grave clothes neatly folded never to be used again because Jesus is risen from the dead the first resurrection body That all those who follow him will never die. They will live. And those who live and believe in him shall never die. Which leaves us really with Jesus' question. Do you believe this? Do you believe he is the resurrection and the life? We have a hope that is delayed. The Lord has not returned yet to take us home, to be with him. We still struggle with, with, with death, really, that, that is always threatening us all the time. But we have a hope in the one who has conquered death, who gives us strength and, and gives us life to continue on in this world, trusting in him. We have a hope declared Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We know who he is. We know what what he is capable of because we have a hope that is demonstrated for us. Not just in Lazarus, as profound as that is, but more so in Christ himself, who alone has conquered the grave, who alone can give us life, life, true life that begins now and goes on forever. And so in a hopeless world, in a disillusioned world, Where is our hope found? Our hope is found in Jesus, who can shatter not only our fear of death, but also our fear of living. As the theologian Kevin DeYoung puts it, Jesus is not some distant, aloof superhero with a strange origin story who swoops in to save the day and goes back to his Christ cave to brood. No, he is God, and he is God good he sees he knows he sympathizes he loves us and he has already conquered death which we are right to hate do you believe in him let's pray oh heavenly father we thank you that there is an answer to the pain the sorrow the death uh, uh, and the darkness of this life that we are not in a hopeless world but that we are in a world in which there is hope because Christ is risen from the dead. We have a a hope that, that we long for, that we are waiting for the day when you will come and make all things new. Give us strength, Lord, we pray, to trust you, even through dark times, even through the valleys that we may go through, knowing that you are with us, that you are by our side, that you know our fears, that you have felt our sorrows, that you are not distant from us but that you are with us. Thank you, Father, that that you are a God who loves us that much that you would be prepared to send your Son. Thank you, Jesus, that you would love us that much that you would be prepared to take on death for us in our place and conquer it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us hope as we trust in Jesus and as we believe in him that we are able to live today, even in, despite all the things that are going on around us, trusting, depending, relying on you because you, you have given us the one who is called the resurrection and the life. Keep our eyes fixed on him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.